0: All right, welcome to Daily Power Power Show. Today is Friday, May 20th, uh, 2022. And I want to dedicate today's learning to the memory of my grandfather, um, whose one year yard site, first yard site, is coming up tomorrow, the 20th of ER. Um, so may my grandfather's neshama may his soul have an Aliyah, have an ascent above. And uh, continue to bring down blessings for, for our whole family and for all of us. Um, so, the learning is dedicated in honor and memory of Tzvi Ben Chaim Yeshaya Hakohen. All right, Ray, great to have you here. Great to see you. All right, and I'm in Pittsburgh for the occasion of the Artsy. Okay, now I'm gonna share my screen and. Let's let's study Give me a second. Okay, here we go. All right. Can somebody just let me know? Is it showing up on the screen, the text? Yes. Okay, fantastic. All right. So this is reading number six for Bahar. We've done a lot of, we've covered a lot of ground this week. We've talked about the Shemitah, sabbatical year. Talked about the Yeovil, the Jubilee Year. We talked about the prohibition against uh, uh, price fraud and um, harming someone else verbally. We spoke about, let's see what we spoke about. We spoke about um, the, idea, the, the, the laws regarding selling uh, one's inherited fields. We spoke about sell, selling one's um, um, ancestral home. We spoke about the idea of giving someone who's um, who's experiencing difficult times, giving them a loan or helping them out, but not 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 charging interest, etc. So here we continue the theme, talking about essentially poverty and uh, and what happens in, in that situation. We discuss additional laws regarding these scenarios. Leviticus chapter twenty-five, verse thirty-nine. And if your brother becomes destitute with you and is sold to you. So now we're talking about when the person's financial woes are so bad that not only have they sold their field, their home, not only are they taking loans, but at this point, there's nothing they can do but actually sell themselves as a servant. So the Torah says, if that's the case, if your brother becomes so destitute that, that, that the only way they can earn money is by... know indenturing it's becoming in servitude to someone else so the torah says do not work with him with slave do not work him with slave labor if your if your brother fellow jew becomes so destitute that they need to hire themselves out in work do not work them like a slave verse 40 as an employee or a hired resident he shall be with you if to treat him like an employee or hired resident. Hire, hired resident would mean like someone who lives in your home, you know, full-time help type thing, but you have to treat them with respect, not like a slave, like, uh, like the nations of the world. <clears throat> like, like the way slavery was historically. Um, and, t- and, and here's another caveat. So number one, the work itself cannot be slave labor. And number two, until the jubilee year, he shall work with you. There's a limit. There's a limit on this, on, this, uh, on this service. Only until the jubilee year. Verse 41, then at the jubilee year, he shall leave you, he and his children with him, and he shall return to his family and resume the status of his fathers. At that point, he's hopefully earned enough money and is now, now goes on with the rest of his life, leading his family in, in a state of security and good and, and, and blessings. Then the Torah says, verse 42, something very powerful. Why is it forbidden to treat someone else like a slave? For they are my servants who I brought out of the land of Egypt. It shall not be sold as a slave is sold. Basically, God says, (laughs) you can't sell yourself as a slave because you're already slaves to me. I mean, essentially, that's what God is saying. It's like, you're already in my service. This is... uh, this is the service that 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 you're in with me. And um and, and there's no room for someone to have a double measure of service. Okay, back inside. Um, can you guys see the screen? Is that visible again? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's continue verse 43. You shall not work him with, with rigor. Rigor is a very interesting word. Um, we'll see Rashi on this to get some more insight as far as what are the specific types of work that cannot be done. Rashi will tell us, we'll, I'll toggle it soon, that you can't give your servant work that you don't really need, like busy work. Like, oh, uh, can you prepare for me a glass of tea? And then you're not going to drink it. Yeah, that, That's the meaning. That's not nice. So you shall not work him with rigor and you shall fear your God because God And every time it says you shall fear your God, it means things that are that only God would know about. Like, did you really need this, or were you just trying to give him something to do? God knows. I mean, you can excuse and say, "No, I really wanted it, then I changed my mind." But God really knows what's going on inside your mind and heart. Don't mess around. Okay, verse forty-four. Okay, now we're talking about a non-Jewish slave or servant, your male slave or female slave, whom you may have from the nations that are around you. There's not from your brother, i.e. fellow Jew, but someone from the other nations. From them, you may acquire a male slave or a female slave. And also from the children of the residents that live among you. From them, you may acquire slaves and from their family that is with you, whom they begot in your land and they shall become your inheritance. You shall hold to them as an inheritance for your children after you as acquired property and may thus have them serve you forever. But as for your brethren, the children of Israel, a man shall not work his brother with rigor. So here the Torah distinguishes, and we have to be careful how we understand this, between a Jewish servant and someone who's not Jewish in that capacity of being a servant. And the Torah seems to indicate that some of the... Um, I don't know what the right word is. Benefits? Not really benefits. Some of the um, leniencies, as it were, that we have for a Jewish slave do not necessarily apply to someone who is not Jewish and serving in that capacity. And yet, at the same time, we know that, that a human being cannot harm or overwork or abuse anyone else. And, and but, so there's a distinction between a Jewish servant and, and a servant who is not Jewish He's a V, a Jewish, um, a Balabas, a Jewish master. And yet we know in Jewish law that one has to treat all with dignity and humanity. Let's look at Rashi's and Rashi will clarify some of this as well. All right, here we go. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39, first Rashi, slave labor. You cannot give them slave labor. That means they're degrading work through which he is made to look like a slave. For example, he must not carry his clothes after him to his bathhouse, to the bathhouse, or put on his shoes for him. You cannot have your servant, you know, be your uh, clothes caddy, like your clothing caddy. Like, oh, here, carry my clothing while I go to the the bathhouse or put on my shoes for me. That's degrading. You can't do that. Um, Rather, you have to treat him like an employee or hired hand, a hired resident. Rashi says, give him dignified jobs. For example, work in agriculture and craftsmanship. Treat him like other employees. Until the jubilee year, what does that mean? Rashi clarified, you don't go 50 years. I.e., if the jubilee year occurs before the six years of a servitude have elapsed, then the jubilee immediately takes him out of servitude. If not, then you wait the six years, and after that, he goes free regardless. Which means that the Jewish slave goes free regardless after six years, perhaps sooner if there's a jubilee year in, in the interim. Okay. Um. Rabbi. Yes. Did you talk already about the slave that doesn't want to leave his master? That's not here. Ex- oh, okay. Ex- That's not in the. Oh, It's in Mishpatim, right? It's in the first time we talked about this concept. It says that if the servant doesn't want to go free after the six years, then we we puncture the their ear and make a hole right. in the ear, like uh, like you know, for an earring hole type thing. And that reminds the person you should listen to God who says, don't be a slave to other human beings. Yeah. Now, Torah says here. Yeah, but you're right. Torah says here that uh, who goes? He and his children with him, says Rabbi Shimon. If he was sold, who sold his children? What does that mean? Right. If If he was sold, who sold his children? However, from here we learn that his master is obligated to provide food for his children. And in the sense, they are released with their father. So in other words, the children are not slaves. So if somebody is 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 short on cash or very short on cash and needs to hire themselves out as a servant, okay, there's stipulations you can't treat them badly, et cetera, fine. But what about their children? Well, their children have no connection. They're, they don't work for you. He works for you, not his kids. And yet... The Torah says that when he goes free, it's him and his children. But they were never slaves. They were never servants. What it means is that even when they weren't working for you, but they're his kids, and you have to take care of him, you have to take care of his family also. As as much as you have to take care of him, you have to take care of his kids. And then when he goes free, then they also go free from your support. Now, the, the, that, that their father takes care of them. It's an interesting idea of of the responsibility of someone who takes on a Jewish slave, Jewish servant. Can't give them all types of work, whatever you want. You have to treat them with dignity and respect. You have to take care, care, you have to support his family. Let's continue. Um, For they are my servants, Rashi says, Shtari Kaidan. My contract comes first. God says, My contract. You employed them. I employed them first. I gave them Torah and mitzvot. That comes before any other physical contract. Um, They shall not be sold in the way of a slave, namely by public announcement saying, here is a slave for sale. Neither may they stand him up on an auctioning block for public sale. Man, that's uncomfortable to even read as a possibility. But that is forbidden in Jewish law. You shall not work him with rigor, what does that mean? Rashi says, unnes- and I mentioned this before, unnecessary jobs for the purpose of tormenting him. For example, do not say to him, warm up this drink for me when you do not need it or hoe under this vine until I come back and you may never come back to it. Perhaps you will say no one, no one really knows whether, ne- whether it is necessary or not and I say that it is necessary. The matter is held secretly in a man's heart for no one knows his true intentions. Therefore scripture states and you shall fear your God for a God is privy To all inner thoughts. God knows whether you meant it. Or you didn't mean it. All right. Let's find a Rashi here. On the second conversation. About a servant who is not Jewish. Um. Hold on. Hirasi says, um, when the Torah said, talks about a, uh, a slave from the other nations, from the surrounding nations, so the Torah says that their status is a little bit different, and they don't necessarily automatically go free in the Yovel year with the Jubilee. And then it says, but as for the children of Israel, a man shall not work his brother with rigor, and it kind of makes the contrast. And Rashi says, "But has this prohibition regarding a Jewish servant not already been stated in verse forty-three above?" So uh, the explanation is it's repeated here to include in the prohibition a leader over his people and a king over his, attend- his attendants that these rulers must not work with, must not work with rigor. A king and a leader are not also not allowed to treat others as servants and as slaves. Okay, reading number seven. Now we talk about the next level. Here is a Jew who indentures himself in servitude, not to a fellow Jew, but to one of the neighboring nations, to someone who's not Jewish, or one of the neighboring nations. And the the Torah's laws about this are fascinating. Verse forty-seven, chapter twenty-five. If a resident non-Jew gains wealth with you and your brother becomes destitute with him and is sold to a resident non-Jew among you or to an idol of the family of a non-Jew. So this is basically a Jew who's sold into servitude in a non-Jewish context. And the last part of verse 47 is where he's sold to an idol. What does it mean sold to an idol? To the service of an idol. This guy is now being uh, a slave whose job it is to clean up for idols. That's how low this person has tragically fallen. Not only are they destitute and they're a slave, but they're not even working for a Jew. They're not working for one of the other nations. And not only that, but maybe their they're their they're, they're their actual work pertains to idol worship. So that's not a good scenario. And Torah says we have... As a community, as a people, we have every interest in getting this guy out of that situation. So the Torah says, verse 48 after he is sold, he shall have redemption. Somebody should rescue him. Somebody should pay the money and get this guy back and out of servitude. One of his brothers shall redeem him. Verse 49. And and if you need names, specific relations, sure. Or his uncle. So, number one, a brother. I guess it means literally a brother. Number two, his uncle or his cousin shall redeem him, or the closest other relative from his family shall redeem him. Or if he becomes able to afford it, somehow he hits the lottery, he can be redeemed on his own. He can pay for his own release. But the bottom line is we have every interest. If a Jew works for a fellow Jew, all right. I mean, sorry, I don't mean all right. It's not good. Ideally, this guy gets on his feet and and gets out of that situation. But vis-a-vis Judaism, all right, he still has a Jewish connection. But a Jew who sold himself into slavery amongst the non-Jewish household or even house of worship, that's a very not ideal situation for a Jew to be in. Therefore, the Torah says, we got to get him out. We got to redeem him. How does that work? Verse 50, similar to the prorated thing. He shall calculate with his purchaser the number of years from the year of his being sold to him until the Jubilee year. Then the purchase price shall be divided by the number of years as the days of a higher worker he shall be with. him. By the way, what the Torah is telling us here is that in any case, the Jewish slave, the Jewish servant goes free in the Jubilee year, which is interesting because we're now imposing Jewish law on what would be a case where the the owner or the master of the servant is not Jewish. So we're gonna tell him, by the way, FYI, this guy's um, law, this guy's Torah dictates that he can only be a slave until the Jubilee year. And therefore you who are not bound by Torah law have to follow this law. So that's what the Torah says, that even before before the Jubilee year, he could be redeemed. And the way you do that is you prorate it. You prorate it by the number of years of service left and how much the original purchase price was. And that's how much you pay to gain the release. 51. I'm going to read 50 again. He shall calculate with his purchaser the number of years from the year of his being sold to him until the Jubilee year, where he would go free anyway. Then the purchase price shall be divided by the number of years as the days of a higher worker shall be with him. Okay, verse 51. If there are still many years, in other words, these many years left until the Jubilee, he shall return his redemption money out of the money for which he was purchased. But if only a few years remain until the Jubilee year, he shall make the same calculation according to his years that remain until Jubilee. He shall return the redemption money, which again simply means that if there's two years left, the Jubilee year, so this, this um the non-Jewish slave owner, servant owner would only have him for another two years. So obviously the payment is much less than if there was another 30 years up ahead. Continue verse 53. He shall be with him as an employee hired year by year. He shall not enslave him with rigor in your sight. This is again a binding law on the one who is not Jewish. It's like you got to treat the slave properly; cannot be enslaved with rigor. What happens if all if, if no one redeems this guy? Verse fifty four, and if he is not redeemed through any of these way, any of these ways, he shall go out in the jubilee year, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me; they are my servants who I took out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> I am the Lord your God. So God says, they are not meant to be working for others indefinitely and for all time. They need to be free to to do my service, to serve, to serve me, to serve us. Give me a second. We're letting Mark into the room. All right. Give me a moment. Okay. Hey, Mark. Welcome. Hi. How you doing? Good to, Sorry see, you. to, let you. No Good to see you. No worries. No worries. Great to see you. So we just discussed the laws of a Jewish slave, two scenarios where the Jewish slave or servant is uh, is working for a Jewish owner or is working for someone who's not Jewish. So in both scenarios, the Torah says he has to be treated with respect and dignity. He goes free in the Jubilee year. And there's a process of, of, of redemption, redeeming the slave, the servant, even before that time period is up. Okay. Now I want to continue, and then we'll go back to Rashi, verse twenty-six. Sorry, chapter twenty-six, verse one. It's interesting that right at the end of the Torah portion, the last two verses of the of the parasha of the Torah portion, in the you know the non-original Jewish chapter count starts a new chapter right here at the end of the Torah portion. Interesting, um, because it seems to be talking about a different case, but it's really related, as Rashi points out, and as our sages say. So you imagine. The last scenario that we spoke about, the last scenario is where the Jewish servant is owned by someone who isn't Jewish. So what does his life look like, this Jewish servant? What does his life look like? I mean, he's around a non-Jewish household and he's helping them out with all their things and they have holidays and all. And maybe he's working even in a house of worship of, of idolatry. That's a possibility. You would imagine that context, this Jew might say, you know what? When in Rome, do like the Romans. Maybe I should you know, take on some of these non, um, non-Jewish non practices, these non-monotheistic practices. So, so the Torah says the following, verse, verse 1, chapter 26, you shall not make your make idols for yourselves. In other words, even if the person is a slave in an idolatrous context, you don't serve idols, nor shall you set up a statue or a monument for yourselves. And in your land, you shall not place a pavement stone on which to prostrate yourselves, for I am the Lord your God. Even when you're steeped in, in an idolatrous context, don't adopt the, cur- the, the the currency of the locals. Rather, verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and fear my sanctuary. I am the Lord, even in a state of servitude. One should observe the laws. All right, Rashi. Rashi says... Um, a second here yeah. sold to the family of a non-Jew Rashi says this expression means that the Jew is sold to an idolater but when scripture says literally to a brood it refers to a Jew sold not just to an, to, to an idol worshiper But is sold to the idol itself, i.e. becomes an attendant to the idol. He does not worship it as a deity, as we just read, you shouldn't, but to chop wood and draw water. So his job is to chop wood for their, you know, non-Jewish, polytheistic, uh, pagan altars and to draw water for the same purpose. That's where this guy has fallen, such a low place. Um, he should have redemption, Rashi says immediately. Do not allow him to become assimilated until the Jubilee year. Can you imagine what would happen if he, he's there for 50 years? Wow, that would be devastating. Um, for the purchaser's sole, purchase, sole purpose here was to acquire this man said so that he would serve him until the Jubilee. Um, for the servant goes free in the Jubilee, as it stated below, he shall go out in the Jubilee year. Obviously, scripture speaking of a non-Jew who is under the jurisdiction of Israel. Ah, now we get it. Well, how is the non-Jew compelled in any way to observe these laws of the Torah? So Rashi says, obviously, we're talking about a case of someone who isn't Jewish but who is under the jurisdiction of Israel and therefore obeys the law to free a slave in the jubilee So you have somebody who's not Jewish but living in Israel when Jewish law is is uh, is, is all the rage. So they would be privy to this. To this restriction, i.e., not overworking this individual, and also letting them go in the jubilee year, and the courts, the Jewish Israel courts, can force that hand. Nevertheless, you shall not cheat him, because this may cause a desecration of God's name. But when the servant is to be redeemed, he must be meticulous in his calculation according to what is due each year. Don't rip off the owner or the uh, the master. Give them their due pay. Uh, Rashi gives the example. If there were 20 years since he was sold until the Jubilee, she has got 20 years left in the clock and he purchased him for 20 manas. Turns out that the non-Jew had purchased each year's work for one mana. Now, if this Jewish servant had already spent five years with him and he comes to be redeemed, he, the non-Jew, must deduct five manas and the servant must give him 15 manas. So again, the total number was 20, 20 years, 20 manas he already worked for 5 years so to redeem him would be to pay 15 months this then is the meaning of then the purchase price shall be divided by the number of years in order to determine the annual hiring rate as above basically it's prorated like we've been saying throughout this week um You shall not enslave him with rigor in your sight. That is to say, while while you see this, i.e. a Jew must not see this non-Jew forcing this type of labor upon a Jewish servant without doing anything, but this is not a warning to the non-Jew. In other words, the Jew is meant to step up. If he see something, do something about it. Verse 54. The Jewish servant of a non-Jew must be redeemed, may be redeemed only through these ways described in the verses here, but he may not be redeemed, i.e. released through the six years. He's only released a Jewish slave to a Jewish owner, goes free at the end of six years. But a Jewish slave, a Jewish slave to a non-Jewish owner goes free only with the Jubilee year, with the yovel, not with the six years. He and his children with him, but are his children also sold the scripture, finds an answer to state here that his children go free together with him. However, we learn from here that just like a Jewish master, so too the non Jewish master is obligated to provide food for the servant's children, just as an Israelite is obligated in this sense, they are released along with their father, as we said a few verses above. Okay, for the children of Israel are servants to me. My contract, oh, I mentioned this before, my contract came first, or maybe Rashi said this before also. Um, and thus, when the Jubilee arrives, the servant must be released and re- revert to being God's servant rather than man's servant. I am the Lord your God, whoever subjugates them below on this earth. There's whoever subjugates a servant below, it is if he subjugates them above in heaven. For as long as the Jew is enslaved to another human being, he is not free to do the holy service of God. And that is a problem. You shall not make idols. This was where the, the, the plot twisted a little bit, the plot, the plot turned to talk about a prohibition against idolatry. Why? Rashi explains, this is addressed to the one who has been sold as a servant to a non Rabbi Ari, can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Is the translation servants or slaves? Because my khomish my says slaves. Yeah, here it says servant. And I think it's just because it's to soften the, the, the notion of it, because the Torah says that when you, get, when you acquire a slave, don't treat them like a slave. So they're being treated like a servant. So that's why I think the translation just goes with servant and just cuts out the word slave. The literal translation is slave, but we know you can't, you can't treat them like a slave. So then they're not a slave, I guess, then they're a servant. So that's, I think that's how it would be differentiated here. Okay, so that Rashi here, you shall not make idols for yourselves. Rashi says, this is addressed to the one who has been sold as a servant to a non-Jew, that he should not say, since my master has illicit relations, I will also be like him. Since my master worships idols, I will also be like him. Since my master desecrates the Sabbath, I will also be like him. This is why these verses are stated here. And as the Torah says, don't do that. Even though your master is doing that, you don't do that because you're not the master. Or or the master is not Jewish. And that's not, uh, not the right thing. So big brackets there in Rashi that I'm skipping. A pavement stone. Do not worship a pavement stone. What's that? An expression denoting a covering as then I shall cover you with my hand. And the meaning of covering is relevant here is people use a stone floor to make a covering over the ground. Stone floor is like a covering over the ground um, on which to prostrate yourselves. Don't make a stone floor on which to prostrate yourselves, even to heaven, even to Hashem. For the expression, sh'tachava prostration, denotes stretching one's hand and feet out on the ground, and the Torah prohibits one to do so outside the Holy Temple For prostration on stone floor is permitted. You cannot bow down on a stone floor in Judaism. In Jewish law, this is very important. Very important. One one such example of this is on Yom Kippur. When we bow down to the ground in synagogue. If the synagogue had a stone floor, it would be problematic. It does. huh? I'm pretty sure Chabad does have a stone floor underneath the uh, tiles. Underneath Underneath the the carpet. That's fine. It has to be covered. It has to be covered. It's fine. But if it's directly on stone, stone, you can only do that in the Holy Temple. Okay. Yeah. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. You shall keep my Sabbaths and fear my sanctuary. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who is faithful to give reward to those who fulfill my Torah. God says I will give those reward. I want to go back. I want to end. Um, I want to conclude this week with a Rashi that we read earlier. And I hope you can see as I'm navigating here. Yeah. The Torah talks about a fellow, a Jew, who falls in such hard times. He's so destitute that he has to sell himself into slavery to a fellow Jew. The Torah says, well, at the end of uh, whatever is, you know, the time period of the slavery, of the servitude, he goes free together with his children. So the question is, wait, his children, were his children ever servants just just the dad was why why are we saying that children are released they were never enslaved and rashi said right here in the middle i read this before but i want to read it again says Shimon, if he was sold who sold his children however we learn from here that his master is obligated to provide food for his children and in this sense they are released with their father and so i want to bring this into a spiritual understanding spiritual understanding is as follows you know, our ancestors were sold into slavery. Our ancestors were exiled. The temple was destroyed, right? Israel was uh, was barren, and in essence, in essence, not only were the Jewish people exiled, but even God Himself was exiled, because God no longer has a temple to hang out. So the question is like this, if God is exiled, then who exiles the children? You and I. God is exiled. So then, then what puts us, who directly exiled us? Are we in exile? Like what's, what, how does that work? What's the relationship between you know, God and our ancestors and us? And Rashi answers, from here we learn that the master is obligated to take care of the children. That means that even as we are in a state of exile, Hashem is obligated to take care of us and to make sure that we're that our physical and spiritual needs are taken care of. And this is coming from the great Rabbi Shimon, who's Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the same Rabbi Shimon that we uh, that we that we celebrated yesterday Lag Omer with. Um. So that that is the the Rabbi Shimon that we're speaking of, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It's a powerful message, the message again being that although we've been in exile for a few thousand years, our master in heaven, Hashem, still is required and obligated to take care of us. So may it be Hashem's will that indeed we have all the blessings that we need and all the resources that we need and all the things that we want, assuming they're all kosher, right? All the things that we want in order to do what we need to do here on earth. Um, I'll also mention this. You know this, uh, as Rashi pointed out, and as I think I mentioned at some point in this narrative, we're talking about a, you know, a, a, a descent. Really, really, a person go- getting into a bad place and then a worse place and an even worse place, and it, it 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 gets worse and worse. Where the person first has to sell their field and then their house and then take loans and then sell themselves as a slave to a Jew and then to someone who isn't Jewish. It becomes, you know, this this really um, snowballing situation of of of, dest- of of destitution. Is that the right word? Of being destitute. And where does it begin? So as Rashi and the commentators point out, it begins with the first mitzvah this week, which is Shemitah. Not observing Shemitah. It's when a person wants to game the system and say, you know what? God wants me to rest the land, but I'm, I don't want to rest the land. I'm going to work the land. But God says it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. It's going to ultimately, because God's in control, it's ultimately going to end with um, in a state of need. And so the message for us is, you know, Shemitah is all about having, is trusting in Hashem. I can trust that even when I take a year off from my farm or my field, I'm st- I'll still be okay. When we exercise our trust, God takes care of us. If we demonstrate to God that we don't trust, God forbid, God, I don't trust you. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God says, Really? Let's see how well that works out. You don't want my blessing? We'll see. So we should never exchange God's help for our own help. That is not a good deal. Do not do that. Do not swap out God's assistance for human assistance. The main thing is, of course, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to help each other. Yes. But above and beyond that, we need God's blessings and we need God's protection and we need God's kindness We need a chesed, right? We need the right side of the duplex. We need the chesed. We need the love from Hashem to make, to to, to grant us all the blessings that we need. And so in conjunction with my grandfather's yard site, first yard site, he was all about love and kindness and generosity. So may his memory be for a blessing and may we all live our most generous lives with true faith and trust in Hashem, that Hashem will indeed give us all the blessings we need. And I realize now that for some reason, my video didn't turn back on. I apologize for that. I'm looking at an empty box. I'm like, huh, who didn't turn on their camera? And that's actually me. So I apologize for that. Um, but indeed, um, this, this Shabbos should indeed be a, a Shabbos of blessing coming from Lagba Omer yesterday, into Bahar, connected with the Rabbi Shem Ben Yochai, the Rashbi, the great mystic and, uh, and, and sage. It should be a, a Shabbos of inspiration and blessings for us all let us say amen amen great to see you all live great from pittsburgh you. it's been great studying um a, another wonderful week of study thank you for being here joy and ray and mark truly treasure our studies together and uh looking forward to seeing you next thank week please mark thank you okay good
1: job job right. good good everyone
0: good for them. take care everybody bye bye Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at inTownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening